Welcome to our most recent um, podcast in our Expert View series. Um, I'm Tom Stockley, um, a Trustee Director at 2020 Trustees. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the regulator's new powers under the Pension Schemes Act 2021, which is hailed as the most important piece of pensions legislation since the 2004 Act. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by three experts in this field. Mr. Luke Hartley from Lincoln Pensions, Peter Murphy of the law firm Sackers, and last but no means least, Michael Shimwell of ISIO. So first of all, I'd like to just take a look at the new powers and also think about when those might come into place, come into force. Peter, could you take us through that? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I guess when I, when I look at TPR's new powers, I sort of put them into four buckets. Um, sort of the first one, the employer-related notifiable events regime. Um, the second one is sort of gathering information, um, the interview and the inspection powers. Uh, the third one is um, sort of the two new contribution notice tests, um, employer resources and employer insolvency test. And um, I sort of think about this um, as providing compensation for the scheme, or at least a power to provide compensation for a scheme. Um, and, and sort of just to bear in mind, although these are new tests, um, we've, we've still got the old reasonableness requirements that have always been there. Um, and these um, express statutory defences that also have applied in the past continue to apply here. And then we finally got the one that everyone's talked about, the sort of the new punishment provisions, um, where primarily uh, the regulator would need to satisfy the material detriment test um, and also um, satisfy the requirement that the target knew or ought to have known of the impact and that there was no reasonable excuse. And, and we've heard that phrase, no reasonable excuse, quite a bit. Um, civil and criminal penalties apply here. We've got fines and, and the seven-year um, prison sentence. So it's all pretty um, tough stuff. Timing, you asked about timing. Um, None of these provisions have yet formally commenced. Um, I think everyone sort of got the gist of that. Um, they are looking to uh, commence sometime in the autumn. Um, but in the meantime, they shouldn't be ignored, I would say, um, because there are a couple of nuances that people should be aware of. Um, the new punishment provisions I was just mentioning, um, there is the potential for um, what they call pre-commencement evidence to be taken into account. So um, things like evidence of intention, um, even if the, the act itself doesn't take place until after the commencement, the sort of the pre-commencement intention may be relevant. Um, the, the, the new contribution notice tests, um, for all contribution notices, there's a six-year look-back period. So unless something comes out of the woodwork in the legislation, in theory at least, um, you know, the regulator could be looking back as, as long as six years and applying these, these new tests. Um, and then finally, the interview powers. Well, of course, although they won't be able to interview someone um, until the powers come into force, they will then be able to ask about anything they like um, that may have happened in the past. So just a few sort of um, timing points to be, be aware of as well. That, that, that's really, really helpful, Peter. That's a really helpful summary. I mean, I think for me, key, the key is this is an overlay to the existing regime um, and people should bear that in mind. I think I'd, I'd quite like to look at first off and uh, look at 
any benefits really that this this throws the way of trustees and and or corporates and i think luke come to you on that really could you could you summarize for us what you see as the the main benefits here sure um it's worth noting obviously that the, the powers themselves are not the trustees powers or the corporates they're, they're the pensions regulators powers but actually i think from the trustee side the benefits are, are quite clear uh, the main one being that it puts the scheme of course at the forefront of any corporate activities whether that's a transaction or restructuring. Uh, by strengthening regulators' powers and the notification requirements, um, pension schemes can't be considered as an afterthought anymore. Uh, they must be addressed, and they must be addressed uh, as part of the, the transaction, which significantly increases the importance of uh, the role of trustees uh, in, in those discussions. And of course, the regulators' draft policy itself highlights the value of early engagement with trustees and, of course, mitigation, informing any reason for excuse of subsequent criminal action. For corporates, perhaps the benefits are slightly less obvious, but they're certainly present. Um, so first, it ensures similarly that pension schemes are given proper consideration at early stage in transactions, um, which ensures itself then that risk can be addressed early uh, when there's a wider range of options available and that pension schemes don't come back as a, as a problem at the later stage of the transactions that hasn't yet been dealt with. And I think we may expect as a consequence to see a little bit more creativity in some of the options that are available to support pension schemes because they can be considered early rather than just reverting to cash or guarantees as uh, occasionally is the, the case at the moment. Um, secondly, I think the expected guidance from, uh, from the regulator has the potential um, and obviously it is under consultation at the moment, but it has the potential uh, to give greater clarity on how pension schemes may be considered uh, in transactions, uh, which allows corporates to consider and, and avoid investigations at a later date. Uh, these can be very expensive and, and laborious, uh, as many of us will know. Uh, and finally, it can encourage companies to be proactive in addressing pension scheme liabilities. When I think too often in the past, the can has been kicked down the road uh, and that can have disastrous results. Uh, so fixing the problem now benefits ultimately all stakeholders, corporates, investors, pension trustees, uh, and of course the regulator alike. Uh, that's great, Luke, and, and thanks for that. I think, I think picking up on one of one of the key themes of, of your answer there, and I'll come to you, Michael, on this is, um, do, do you think, and kind of kind of coming from a more an actuarial perspective, do you think that these new powers will help strengthen the trustees' position and the negotiating table, and through that, I'm thinking helping to drive value for for the members. Uh, I think undoubtedly they will, um, but I think it's worth thinking through the different situations trustees find themselves in when they are negotiating with employers. So I think in the sort of ongoing funding scenario, most of the heavy lifting will be done by the funding code of practice when that lands, because none of us really expect these powers to come into any sensibly or reasonably behaving trustee and employer as a consequence of an ordinary funding negotiation. However, the moment you're into transaction or restructuring or refinance, I think notific notification requirements and the fact these powers exist will do two things. One, they will give the trustees much more time. And I think Luke alluded to that, the ability to create new and more creative solutions. And secondly, the threat in the background, even though it may not be used in many cases, will be enough to focus people's minds on where they're trying to get to and to get to a sensible outcome. And I think that ultimately will help trustees achieve you know, better mitigation or mitigation in circumstances where they may otherwise not have done that. In, interestingly, the third situation is a distressed businesses. I think it's possible that they'll reduce the range of options available there because many trustees and directors might be nervous about some of the, if you like, more edge cases where in the past the business would have been allowed to carry on, for example. 
point's extremely interesting. Um, and I think we, we may come back to it later. I mean, just picking up on the first point you made then, coming back to you, Peter, um, I mean, it is, it is generally a common gripe of, of trustees that they, that they come to the table late. Um, and we've heard a little bit there about the notification requirements. Could you, could you pick up on that point and, and, and how you see this may change, change the approach? Yeah, sure. And, and I think um, before sort of getting directly to um, the notification requirements themselves, it's, it's worthwhile sort of mentioning that both the contribution notice and the, the new criminal, criminal sanctions um, of themselves uh, sort of take into account the nature and extent of any information that um, the employer has has provided to the trustees. So, you know, even in an indirect sense, um, those provisions might lead to change in sort of corporate behaviour regarding information flow. Um, the, the new notifiable events um, that um, are expected to, to come into force um, later this year, we, we don't know exactly what they are going to cover. They will cover sort of certain specific circumstances. Um, we're expecting where um, securities is granted um, in advance of, of the pension scheme or where there's um, intended to be a, a sale of a material part of an employer's business. So those two situations um, we're expecting and perhaps others will trigger this um, more specific notification regime and that will require um, corporates to provide um, certain specified information and, and that will be quite significant for trustees. It, it will include um, information that um, we expect will be provided early in the process and, and picking up then on, on Mike's comments. I, I think um, it will, will be helpful from a timing perspective as well as from a sort of a substantive information perspective. Um, and because there will be penalties for non-compliance, this won't be just like perhaps um, the existing information protocols that we've seen in place and sort of um, from time to time largely ignored. This will have real teeth. So I think all of this will um, sort of serve to improve the information flow that trustees get from, from sponsors going forward. Yeah, look, and I, and I, think, I think this is a really key element, um, certainly from a trustee perspective. Um, I think I should quickly pick up on, on a point kind of from coming back to you, Luke, from a kind of from a covenant perspective and whether you see trustee behaviour here changing in terms of the, the level of monitoring of, of, of sponsor covenant and specifically thinking here around around the new contribution notice tests Peter described earlier. Yeah, so I think we, we've seen a gradual improvement in uh, you know, gradual increase in the level of monitoring that's provided. Um, to trustees by corporates and that is requested by trustees of corporates and, and certainly uh, yeah, annual monitoring uh, at least is, is absolutely leading practice and keeping an idea on how your covenant strength is developing and combined with contingency planning it puts trustees in the best position to be able to react quickly to events as and when they may happen and, and pre-act in some respects uh, to events as well. Um, with the increased regulators' powers, then that will come with an increased expectation, I believe, on trustees uh, to ensure they're adequately monitoring covenant. And certainly the new contribution notice tests gives two clear examples of the kind of behavior the regulator will be looking at and be concerned about in terms of reducing uh, the covenant available to support pension trustees. So, so yes, I think there will be a, a continuation of the, the growth in, in monitoring for trustees. Uh, on the corporate side, there's actually a benefit too in ensuring your trustees are fully 
aware of situations that are happening for, for similar reasons, because you know, should you undertake a transaction or should you undertake a restructuring, it's clear that early meaningful engagement with trustees and regulator is, is not only expected, but a key part of putting in place a, a reasonable excuse should one be required. Uh, and of course, the better trustees are informed, the better governance you already have in place with your trustee board, with a, with a strong trustee board and strong advisor group, uh, allows corporates to be comfortable that they'll be able to react, uh, sorry, to engage meaningfully with trustees early um, and reach ultimately positive conclusions on transactions uh, and if necessary, restructurings that are suitable for all stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, no, look, I couldn't agree with that more, I think. So just following on from that, Michael, it would be quite interesting whether whether you think that obviously through through corporate transactions and restructurings, monitoring of, of funding levels is, is, is always been key. But do you think that that'll be heightened because of these new provisions? That's a really interesting question, Luke. Um, and my, my sense of that is that it shouldn't be heightened because people should have already been doing it. Um, and if you think back to the changes in the market of the last sort of three, four years, pretty well everybody now has a tool similar to the SEO Fusion tool, which allows daily monitoring of funding levels. So I would almost expect that to be the norm for trustees in all situations, not to be looking at it every day, but to be able to be aware of it. So I think they will carry that into transactions. But what it should really focus on is trustees having a real proper and a deep look at the impact of a transaction on the ongoing covenant of the business yeah. and what they're left with, which I'm afraid, you know, with the best world brings Luke and his guys back in to ensure that trustees really understand what's happening, what it will do, and what, if any, mitigation they should be looking for. We've looked through some of the benefits, um, and I, 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 obviously the more commentary has been around the potential risks that this presents to, to trustees and, and corporates. So I would like to spend a bit of time just, just, just thinking through that. And I think coming back to you again, Michael, um, it'd be quite helpful if you kind of summarise what you see as the key risks here and, and, and also whether what we've heard from the regulator to date um, acts to, to allay some of those concerns potentially. Yeah, so we start thinking through the policy intent and the policy intent is clearly to deter poor behaviour. And you know, to some extent that's reacting to various you know, situations over the last few years where we've had behaviour that's been perceived as poor, whether that's Carillion or whether it's BHS. Um, so in that context, I don't think we should be afraid if we we're acting properly. However, there's no question you know, whatsoever, there will be a high degree of nervousness amongst both directors and amongst trustees, and probably particularly professional trustees where, you know, it's likely that a higher bar or a higher expectation will be placed on how they behave. So I think there's going to be a period where nervousness might actually disable people from completing transactions that, you know, a year ago they might have been comfortable with, and in a year's time they may be comfortable with. But there's going to be a period where we have to work through and understand how the regulator's going to behave, what the regulator wants to enforce. And clearly, we'll be rising clearance applications as you know, every set of advisors and every set of trustees tries to understand that in detail. Um, but I also think, you know, there will be increased costs. That's probably not a bad thing if we get to a better outcome. And there will undoubtedly, as we said earlier, be some situations which can't be resolved because, you know, for whatever reason, trustees or directors are concerned that the application of the new powers in that situation would potentially expose them individually or as a business. 
Yeah. Uh, thanks, Michael. I think, I think that that's a really good summary of it. And I, just coming to you, Peter, from a from a legal perspective, what, what do you see as the biggest risk that this presents to to trustees and 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 on the other hand to corporates? Yeah. Well, perhaps surprising for a lawyer, I'm quite optimistic about um, where we might get to with sort of understanding risks. I think, um, fingers crossed, you know, many of us are hoping that ultimately we'll get a little bit more clarity about um, sort of the, the scope of these criminal sanctions from the from the pensions regulator. And if, if we're able to, to get some greater clarity, remove or reduce some of the risks around um, that. And, and if we do, then I think trustees and employers you know, should really be able to pretty comfortably navigate their way around um, what we're, you know, going to be, um, you know, grappling with um, under the new Act, as long as they have sufficient awareness of, of what the Act provides and, and they get good advice. And I think this is where um, the biggest risk actually lies. It's, it's not the risk of what's there, it's the risk of ignorance of what is there. Um, and then accidentally sort of tripping up on them because you don't know that that they are requirements or that they are things that could lead to difficulties when in perhaps the past they haven't. So I think they're really the key to minimising that risk um, is to ensure that there's a good level of communication between trustees and, and, and corporates, making sure that they're both on the same page about what these risks are. And so they can both address them, you know, in, in a constructive way, um, regardless of what um, situation they might encounter. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think from a, coming from a trustee perspective, ultimately trustees should have in their mind preserving member benefits and that should be front and, and foremost. And, and ultimately these new provisions align with that. And therefore, I don't think trustees, lay trustees and professional trustees should be concerned with it as long as you're right, that they are aware of what the new, the new, the new provisions are um, and they act within, within, within them. Um, so I think obviously the, the one area that's been, the, the, that's been brought out a lot are the new criminal provisions. And I, Luke, I was just going to come to you on that and how you see those provisions and, and importantly, how you see those being used by the regulator going forward. Yeah, and I, mean, I think the regulator itself has been very clear that it sees a, a large um, purpose of the, the provisions being a deterrent uh, rather than something they're going to be using left, right and centre on, on every single transaction. You know, it, it's key that there is a deterrent to stop the most nefarious, uh, reckless, dangerous behaviour uh, of individuals. Um, and I think the first port of call is going to remain likely to be a contribution notice in the event of a, if there are events that are damaging to pension schemes for a couple of reasons. I mean, firstly, it's, it, it's, I'm going to say well-trodden ground. I mean, there haven't been perhaps as many uh, contribution notices as maybe people may have expected at the time, but you know, it's been reasonably well-trodden ground. And of course, because the test is, uh, you know, not a criminal test, it's, uh, it, it's easier to achieve. And of course, with the addition of the two new contribution notice tests, it's going to be much wider. Uh, in terms of scale you don't need to prove that there's a negative impact on members benefits uh you know you, the new test focus more heavily on on covenant matters rather than that extra step to having a negative impact on on the receipt of benefits from members um that said the concern is that the legislation and, and the policy at the moment are drafted quite widely 
Um, this is essentially the key risk that uh, the corporates are concerned about, and Mike has alluded to it earlier. And the is it likely the regulator will go after every transaction? No, but transactions and restructurings in particular are never without risk. And if something does go wrong, um, that's entirely reasonable, I think, to think the regulator will investigate. And you know, it's made it clear that in circumstances where there isn't perhaps you know, a monetary return, it will consider investigating criminal proceedings without necessarily investigating a contribution notice on the back of policy and as a deterrent. And whilst there are defences clearly available, and uh, you know, if you read through the guidance, you can consider that a meaningful defence would be considering all the alternatives and making a rational decision. You've gone down the right route that you know is, is appropriately mitigated and discussed with the pension scheme trustees in advance. In restructuring situations, in particular, decisions are often made quickly and on the basis of limited information. Uh, and the concern would be that if you were to do that, and then ultimately the transaction didn't didn't work out as, as envisaged, the pension scheme lost out, maybe the regulator would investigate. And I think that's a, that's a key concern and something that we will only know in a few years time when some of these transactions start going wrong. Sure. No, I think I think with a lot of this, it's a, how it will play out over the next few years, and, and obviously we'll, we will know more then. Um, I think another one of the, another key key element of this for me, and, and Peter touched on it at the beginning of the of the interview powers, and and clearly the regulator already has information gathering powers under the existing regime. But as coming to you, Michael, and just wondering whether you think those new interviewing powers will change behaviour in corporates and 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 potentially in the trustee. And on trustee boards? Uh, that, that's another very good question. As you say, under Section 72, the regulator already has extensive powers to gather data. And I suspect everybody in this group has experienced having to respond to those at some point and how hard and time consuming that can be. Um, I think that the interview powers, you, you would like to say no. You would hope that people are behaving appropriately, but then you think back to the experience of you know, numerous people from our industry in front of um, select committees. And whilst the regulator isn't a select committee, um, sitting in front of the regulator would not be a comfortable place to be. So I think for you know, any set of trustees or any business where they are perhaps uncertain about something, that might it might just start to make them think twice because any interview is going to be you know, heavily laced with hindsight bias. You, know, you can imagine the question, did you really think this, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so? At that point, you're going to want to think very carefully about how you got yourself there. So yeah, to some extent, but again, I think very much in those edge cases, you know, the complete criminals won't change and people who are doing things properly won't be worried. But anyone who's on the edge will clearly change the behaviour we have. Yeah, thanks, Michael. I'm just mindful of time, but I think it would be good. I think also we've looked at some benefits and we've looked at some risks, but to just quickly think about some of the potential mitigations um, for certainly for corporates here. Um, and I know, Peter, you mentioned earlier the contribution notices had statutory defences. Would you just quickly be able to take us through what those defences are and whether you think they will be used and useful in mitigation? Yeah, sure. So, so I think... Um, as I mentioned, there are these two statutory defences that they're effectively um, replicating the defences that um, exist under the material detriment test for contribution notice already. Um, 
So broadly speaking, they apply where it can be shown that consideration was given to the impact um, of the event on the scheme, and it was reasonable to conclude that it either um, had no relevant impact or that all reasonable steps were taken to eliminate or minimise it, um, or that there was no Section 75 debt in existence at the time. But it's important to remember that um, this is a defence that must be considered before the event takes place. Um, there is no um, uh, way that you can operate um, the defence successfully um, by pointing to things that you've done after the event has in, in fact taken place. And, and that has provided a challenge for the material detriment test. And I suspect in, in practice, it really hasn't been used very much. Um, will, will the same effective defence be used in relation to these um, two new tests? I'm not sure, um, possibly initially, uh, particularly I guess if corporates are thinking that they don't want to go for clearance, but they do want to get some sort of um, additional comfort. Um, it, it's possible in those situations, but I suspect it will be fairly limited um, in, in sort of the longer term. Great, thanks Peter. And I think kind of asking for a little bit of crystal um, ball gazing here, Luke, but but clearly there is a clearance application process. Um, do you think that will be used here? And do you think we'll see a, a boom like we did uh, in the 2000s of, of clearance applications? Um, whether we see quite the same boom that we said in the 2000s, I think is uh, probably open to interpretation. But yes, I think it's reasonable to assume that we'll see an increase in, in clearance applications uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, firstly, you know, there'll be a concern over the increased um, risk associated with the powers that they're you know, obviously, and, and, uh, a higher uh, level of power than the regulators has historically. And secondly, advisors and companies won't be sure of the, the interpretation and, and the current ground that exists. And so they'd you know, be less confident about signing off deals, for example, than they might be prior to the powers. I think alongside mitigation, we will also just see a rise in general inquiries to the regulator uh, in the short term. Um, and it'll be interesting um, to see, you know, uh, and hopefully the regulator can respond pragmatically, commercially and, and effectively to those inquiries um, to give comfort around transactions that are beneficial um, at the margin uh, and, and give that level of support if you know, it falls potentially slightly behind a, a clearance application, um, but you know, would nonetheless be comforting to employers and trustees alike. Yeah, no, th thanks, Luke. That's that's really helpful. Uh, just a, just a final question. Um, I'm mindful of time, but I think we've seen some high-profile settlements recently, um, and I just wonder, Peter. I'm interested in your view around whether this is likely to change the approach of the regulator in terms of in terms of settlement, and, and importantly, the new criminal powers and and how those how those are brought into that. Yeah, it, I think it it will be really interesting. Um, the two contribution notice tests, I think, probably will make it easier um, for the regulator to take action in respect of a contribution notice if that's what they think is appropriate. It will certainly take away some of the uncertainty that maybe has existed in relation to the material detriment test. And so I guess um, to the extent that they think that has strengthened their hand going forward in relation to bringing um, uh, proceedings for a contribution notice, then I guess that may mean that they will be less inclined to settle um, or perhaps to settle for a higher amount, you know, to insist on a higher amount um, as, as sort of the, the price for settlement. Um, 
it's worth mentioning that the regulator recently published its um, settlement policy, and that goes into quite a bit of detail around um, all the factors it takes into account. But um, that policy doesn't apply to criminal proceedings. Um, and so the interplay of sort of this civil settlement, maybe with a contribution notice, and any uh, uh, criminal proceedings that might be running alongside um, is, is, you know, in truth, a bit of an unknown. Um, the regulator does have the power to withdraw or discontinue um, criminal proceedings, um, and it does have a prosecution policy that talks about the circumstances in which it might do that. And, and I think I would just mention that it's worthwhile bearing in mind here that um, not only does the regulator have statutory objectives, but they ha also have to consider the interests of justice and uh, the public at large. So these are sort of concepts which um, don't necessarily apply to their other sort of um, considerations when thinking about settlements. So um, they need to be satisfied that these other criteria are also met when thinking about um, pulling the plug on criminal proceedings that they may have already kicked off. Um, it will be certainly an interesting space to, um, to, to have a look at if we get any um, developments on these criminal uh, sanctions. Brilliant. Th thanks, Peter. And um, um, I am mindful of time, so sadly I wish we could go on, but I, don't, I think that, that, that we can't. So fantastic. Thank you all for, for, your, for your input today, and um, we look forward to seeing everyone on the next, uh, next episode of the series. Thank you very much.